Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escapil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at Talk 90 and my co-host is Jade. Hello, I'm Jade, you can find me on the internet most places at jadeoxfordrose, and I use they, them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books, one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Uh, today, we are talking about book number 37, The Weakness, which is a Rachel book. Uh, it was ghostwritten by Elise Donner, who also did number 30 and will do number 46. Uh, before we get into things, some book-specific content warnings for some ableist descriptions. Uh, and, uh, crashing a plane into a building on purpose. Yeah. (laughs) That sort of stunned silence was very much my reaction (laughs) when I read that part of the book, and I was like, I should add this to the content warning. (laughs) Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, there are some choices made in this book. There as are we some will choices. Expound upon. <laughs> uh, do you have any overarching feelings you want to start us off with? I think what this book is trying to do in a lot of ways is actually very interesting. Mm-hmm. I like how they're examining the breakdown of the group dynamics, what works, what doesn't, why it works. I think the main failing is, and I can't really necessarily fault the ghostwriter full on because we know at least Donna can do incredible mm-hmm. character writing for the for these characters. We've seen it. The portrayal of Rachel, uh, this is something that Danielle already mentioned, was a thing that happens for a chunk, especially when left with the ghostwriters. Is uh, we talked about the flanderization, and. Maybe it also doesn't help that we've not been in Rachel's headspace for a bit. Mm-hmm. But this does feel a little bit like zero to 90 on uh, her characterization mm-hmm. uh, of being very uh, gung-ho. And it, it, the problem is I genuinely think while it's unpleasant in places and it's clearly meant to be, it's not... Mm-hmm meant to be like lauded as a great thing that she's doing it and she's frequently called out in the book it's because we've seen more nuanced examinations of it before Mm -hmm. and this feels like it's just got oh people responded to that characterization okay we're gonna lean in yeah I don't think it's quite like I can understand maybe where people say, oh well, uh the the refusion after the starfish incident didn't really work and it's just mean Rachel. I don't buy that. No. It's it's not a, a real theory. No. Um because she's too insecure mm-hmm. throughout a lot of this. She has it's just interesting to see her coping mechanisms and yeah. This book has definitely solidified a theory I have about Endgame that I don't like, but more so I already had suspicions and 
I kind of don't like saying things like this out loud because one, I don't want Danielle to have to just not react at all for spoilers' sake. Um, but the constant referring to tragic heroes in this book is like not subtle to the <laughs> point where I think like kids who have maybe not read a lot are also going to go, "Wow, Rachel talks about like heroes a lot." And these heroes don't tend to end well. And I feel like it has to be deliberate. And it makes me sad. But I also find it very compelling because I do like a good tragic story. Mm -hmm. So I will yell more about this later and leave Danielle to sit back from the microphone going, fuck, what do I even <laughs> say in response to this <laughs> that gives nothing away? Because uh -huh. it's a very... But... um. It's a choice that I find very interesting. And the fact that this book does, like Elise Donna, has pulled on a couple of different literary sources in this. Mm -hmm. Specifically, the two that get cited specifically, um, being Oedipus Rex and Hamlet, uh, referring, uh, one being studied at school, and of them, um, well, I assume the kids did study Hamlet at school, but one. Rachel was just sort of like musing on and the other she uses specifically to throw at one of the others. A comparison I happen to disagree with quite strongly, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, I think it's a very surface level reading of Hamlet, quite frankly, and I don't care for it. And I think it's a very surface reading of Marco that I don't care for. But I also accept that that's actually quite a good, like that's sort of a high school take mm -hmm. on Hamlet. So I'm like, hope. Possibly people don't spend as much time thinking about this as I do. So maybe I should have some chill about it. Um, but the I love the choice of Oedipus Rex um, mm -hmm. as as a point of reference because uh, Oedipus Rex or Oedipus Rex, yes, that Oedipus, yes, that one from the complex. Um, the whole thing is about how when trying to avoid your fate, you're going to meet it on the road. That's what it boils down to in very simple terms. It's just sort of like in trying to do things or trying to avoid things, we end up fulfilling them. Like it's the bitch of prophecy is mm -hmm. <laughs> how we be. And the fact that we like, there's a lot of elements of sort of Greek tragedy vibes in this story. The fact that we deal with like, a leader not listening to their advisors. There's almost sort of like a Greek chorus quality to some of the interactions. I could get deep into the weeds because <laughs> if I haven't mentioned it before, I did do a drama degree. Like this is my shit. I didn't do much in the way of the, the classic Greek stuff, but I love unpicking this. Mm -hmm. So um, either way, I like it a lot. Um, and I find the distinction drawn frequently throughout this book of what it means to be a hero versus what it means to act as a leader mm -hmm. very striking and i like that that is a distinction mm -hmm. that is being made because you can be a great leader and do horrible horrible utterly unheroic things as the books have been stressing and i feel is only going to get worse 
because Danielle makes a lot of pained noises about later books. Um, But we've talked about the descent of Jake and how he's had to harden himself and why Cassie holds on to things a certain way because he needs that tether to humanity. Whereas we have Rachel as this, this hero, the loyal soldier who is not meant to lead because this is what happens mm-hmm. when you do the kind of qualities you need in that sort of here and you're like Achilles wasn't the fucking leader in the Trojan War mm-hmm. like people when you think about these heroes they aren't usually the leaders mm-hmm. like when you think and that's I love that in a kid's book, they're sort of like paying homage to those kinds of tropes and those things we've come to understand. Mm-hmm. And the relation, the way we see Rachel interact with each of the others in this book is fascinating to me. And mm-hmm. I feel like when we're not just stuck in Rachel's guru, uh, I am the best leader, I am the warrior king. Um, we see more of the character characterization that I would expect. Like, even like we know Rachel and Axe have got some odd qualities to their relationship, but the, their dynamic in this book is interesting mm-hmm. just to see. But like everything between Rachel and Tobias in this book, between Rachel and Cassie, and between Rachel and Marco is incredible mm-hmm. and so wonderfully illustrative of why the group dynamics work as they do and we only have jake at the very end uh because he's uh visiting family away and that's a short chapter right at the end and and holy shit guys there is animorphs books that have a solid ending chapter (laughs) it can be done i'm as surprised as you are you can stick the landing in an animorphs book um but yeah there is a lot of like this does feel like zero to 60 with mm-hmm. Rachel. And while I feel like it's not, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't seem out of nowhere for her to have the attitude we see in a lot of this book. It does feel like it's a very rapid escalation from where we last saw her. I would yeah. expect it to take longer to get to this point. Yeah. So. Yeah, because the last time we really saw Rachel was 27. Um, mm. Because 32 doesn't really count. Um, <laughs> I mean, it counts, but it doesn't really count because we don't see Rachel. Yeah, um, it's not Rachel as we know her. Right. Um, so it's been 10 books since we last saw her. More than that, actually, because we had uh, Megamorphs and a Chronicles in there. Um, yeah. And, you know, that that's a that's a lot long time for us as readers to go without seeing her. And it's implied too, in this book, one of the things I I do like about some of these later Mm. books are the little details that they add in that like the war continues on Mm -hmm. even when we're not reading the books kind of thing. Yeah. Like, you know, we learn about uh, all the different like controllers that they just know. And like, Mm their favorite your controlled tv station like kind of deal um mm. and so it is uh it is 
interesting to think about, like, how much time has passed since then. Mm. Yeah. Um, because, like, last book, we just had the kind of follow-up to 27. Um, mm. Because Visser 3 was looking for the Pemolite ship, which was what we did in 27. Um, and so it's it's interesting to think about how long ago that was, but even so, like, there is yeah, I mean, a lot of... Mm -hmm. There's a lot of mean Rachel's specific kind of characterization mm. that has been given to Rachel here, which, you know, isn't... It isn't necessarily bad because, like, me and Rachel was a part of her and blah, 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 blah. But it's, like, some of the mm. things, some of the ways that she reacts to things, especially the things where it's, like, she's frustrated or afraid or something like that and immediately goes zero to 60 to anger. Mm. Um, because, like, that's the only way that she can process those emotions. Um, mm -hmm. but the way it's described very strongly reminds me of 32. Um, mm. And because I, you know, I didn't really like that take on the violence mm -hmm. of Rachel, I don't really like yeah. it here. Yeah. I suppose one charitable take on the events of this book and Rachel's reactions to things. Um, and I say this thinking about something that Danielle and I have been right, have written recently. Um, is that leadership can bring out the worst in people. Mm. And the kind of pressure that Rachel is under in this book, and to be fair, a lot of it is the pressure she puts on herself. Mm -hmm. But Rachel always puts pressure on herself. Mm -hmm. And it's just she's trying to fit a certain mould mm -hmm. to do so. And... Well, and I agree with Danielle, like, Rachel's so ready to leap to violence and taking such apparent delight in it sits badly with me too. There is, I think, because we discussed before about what kind of leaders there are in the world, because there are mm -hmm. leaders that are violent mm -hmm. and quick to anger. And mm -hmm. you can see how easy it might be for somebody scared and unsure of themselves to fall and the one fall back onto a thing they know has kept them alive and kept their friends alive for as long as it mm -hmm. has. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I can't remember whether we've talked about it or whether I read it recently, but like anger in and of itself is not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like anger will keep you alive. It's a useful emotion, but like any emotion, if it is like the only one driving, <laughs> it can make you do some bad shit. Mm hmm. So, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a testament to how much Jake has learned and grown. Mm. Because, like, Rachel is essentially stepping in to the late game as a leader mm -hmm. when she doesn't have any of the foundational lessons that Jake learned. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, She's spent all this time training as a berserker and now has to be a leader and it doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't, doesn't work. work. 
Yeah. What I find interesting, we'll pack, we'll unpack more as we go through, is there is the acknowledgement that in a different scenario, one of the others would have made a better leader in this instance. Mm-hmm. Like if you're doing this certain course of action, you want Cassie mm-hmm. at the lead. If you want something that uh, that's going to require a lot of meticulous planning consideration of variables, you really want Marco to do it. Mm-hmm. And I also find interesting here that both Cassie, I say both, Cassie, Tobias, and Axe, when all posed as a would you be take charge refuse mm-hmm. marco like is immediately other... too <laughs> oh yeah marco is the only other one that is sort of like willing to mm-hmm. step up and i said that is why like rachel and marco are like the lieutenants in that regard mm-hmm. like and it's just very interesting. And we know, we've been in Tobias's head, we've been in Cassie's head, we've been, to a lesser degree, in Axe's mind, why they wouldn't want to be in a leadership role. And what's frustrating is the way we see Cassie and Tobias, Tobias especially, would be incredible in a leadership role. Because of... They the the things they bring to the table, granted mm-hmm. not in every situation, and that is again underscored why Jake is able to lead is because he can do so in various different situations. Mm-hmm. But we see why Tobias and Cassie and Axe are also needed in the group, mm-hmm. and what happens when you don't listen to them. Mm-hmm. And the Tobias-Rachel stuff is particularly interesting because it's those two relationships that sort of, the relationship with Cassie comes the most directly under threat because of actions taken by the characters. Um, And the relationship with Tobias is under arguably sort of the most tension because Tobias's opinion matters so much more to Rachel. Mm -hmm. Because that's how it be when you love somebody. (laughs) You care very much about what they think of you. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I just the the violent Rachel stuff frustrates me when it's like so extreme. Because generally speaking, I do find the characterization of this book so good. For and this is one of those books where we see stuff from everybody, mm-hmm. and it feels like yes, this is this is the Cassie I love. This is the Tobias I love. Mm-hmm. You maybe want more of them. But it's like, as I said, even Jake, who only appears very briefly, gets to be very cool and good mm-hmm. and have a great character beat. Mm-hmm. So, frustrations with this book side, I do think it's a good one. And when we get to the end of questions, I'll happily rate accordingly. <laughs> so. All right, let's dive in. Let's, uh, let us begin the unpacking. Yeah. So, we start the book off with. Uh, Rachel, so the, the, the starting incident here is Jake is out of town, away to visit a relative. Tom stayed home. Uh, and while he's away, the others learn about a feeding spot for Visser 3. Um, we have visited a feeding spot for Visser 3 before, and in book eight, and they nearly killed him. So this is, you know, he's vulnerable while he's there. This is, this is a good opportunity for them. Um, but leading up to the reveal of that, of where we are, we have Rachel musing on this, uh, 
sentiment that like she like her name is Rachel and there are a million other Rachels in the world. It's a very common name. Um and but she is different from every other Rachel. Um not just because as she says that the dorkier could kids in school think she has a seriously bad attitude, which I do. So what? <laughs> um and she says being different from every other Rachel isn't a good thing or a bad thing, it just is. Um and sometimes she wishes that she were just an average girl. Um but that's very very rarely cuz she has found kind of her calling in this war in some ways um it has allowed her to kind of grow and fill out um in ways that just going to school and being a mall rat wouldn't um and the times when she does wish that she were just an average kid are when she's very exhausted when they've been losing a lot, um, when, uh, she's dying, um, and in those cases, you know, she kind of thinks, uh, it, it would be great if this weren't a thing. <laughs> it would be great if I didn't have to die on the regular. Uh, um, but, for the most part, she just takes that as the price for everything else. And she appreciates everything else too much in order to not pay that price for it. Um, and I think this, uh, does she say it in here? I don't think she says it in here. Well, yeah, she says, uh, I don't wish it after a typical everyday kind of mission, just after the really annoying ones, the ones where we lose more than we gain, the ones where we fail to do any serious damage to the girls. And from, I find this interesting coming off the back of the last book, because, uh, when we were in Jake's head, Jake pretty much told us, like, they're losing ground. Um. They can't keep this up forever, and they are steadily losing ground to the Yorks, essentially. Um, which speaks to the kind of frustration that Rachel seems to be feeling more and more. And that sense of frustration seems to be a strong motivating factor for her. She doesn't want to be in this... She doesn't want to feel like she's losing. Um, because then the costs seem too much. Um, and it, it's just, it's interesting to me because it's mm. like the costs seem too much. Is it because, uh, it, you know, it makes her regret doing the things that she's done. She can't handle that. So she can't, uh, you know, she can't think, allow herself to think that way. Yeah, I think so. Like, especially like when your role in things is to be the fucking hitman, to do the shitty, violent jobs. The more time you have to think about it, 
yeah, the reality of it uh, will hit you. Uh, I just got done watching uh, The Sandman last night, mm-hmm. having loved the books for years. And spoilers for uh, season one of Netflix Sandman, if you haven't read the books, but they're mild spoilers. There's this thing that happens with Dream where he strips these characters of their delusions about themselves. They can mm-hmm. no longer see themselves as the hero of their own story. Uh, and they fall apart as a result. And I feel like when they aren't winning battles, when things are quiet or they're losing ground, Rachel can't think of herself as being this hero fighting the good fight. It mm-hmm. just becomes, oh, no, I'm a teenage girl that has killed. Mm-hmm. This is my life. Oh, I hate this, actually. Yeah. And yeah. it's, and we see a lot in this book of her mentality and about like, oh, well, I'm, the, I, I, I play the role of the hero. And the fact that we, that she deliberately, and this shout out to the ghostwriter because, mwah, the phrase character is destiny is mentioned, is said a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, you, if you're playing the role of the fighter, you are the fighter. Mm-hmm. And it is that, again, to call back to Oedipus Rex, self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm-hmm. If you paint yourself as the tragic hero of a story, and that's how you need to define yourself, you're going to find yourself pretty soon to be the tragic hero of a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I always like this with Rachel because, of course, I feel like she's going to struggle in the quieter moments of the war, not just because of the frustrations and not just because she necessarily lacks the perspective or the way of thinking, like she doesn't see the chessboard or the clear white line. But Rachel is somebody that does not do well being inactive. Mm-hmm. Like, and we've seen this repeatedly, like she's a, a a doing, even if it's just like fucking planning a trip to the mall with precision, she's somebody that does things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've casually mentioned before about like possibly neurodivergent Rachel, uh, specifically like maybe ADHD. And the way like she struggles when she has nothing to do, she struggles with boredom. And again, maybe it is because then her brain can go to these places that she doesn't want it to be. But she's a person that defines herself by action, mm-hmm. by doing the right thing, by doing what needs to be done. Sitting around waiting to do something is sort of antithetical to who she is and to the role that she's been forced to play and has come to embrace playing, even on the shitty days where maybe she'd rather not be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when this opportunity comes along, um, as a possibility to make a strike, of course she's going to take it. Mm-hmm. Because, like, well, we need to do something. I I need to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of me wishes it wasn't all packed up in an instance of what very much feels like, and there's another incident or comment later that seals the deal of, I'm not like other girls. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, that's unfortunate. Hmm. Uh, and, um, the re- we, the way Rachel talks about the Yerks, 
this was why I wanted to put in a content yeah. about brief ableism. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. Yeah. Um, and it is new sentiments to the to the books, but there is a judgmental quality mm-hmm. and almost demeaning and belittling way mm-hmm. that she describes them. It isn't recognizing them as a dangerous foe like we see in the others, uh, or even just painting them as evil, uh, but rather than just like they are lesser and like mm-hmm. all these physical aspects of them that make them lesser. Yeah. Which is yeah. the shitty flip side of being somebody that defines themselves through doing stuff. Anyone that can't do the thing mm-hmm. is lesser. Yeah. Uh, for the reader, she she basically is like, you know what makes me the most mad about the Yerks is the fact that they're not like... That they don't fight themselves. They don't fight themselves, they possess other people's bodies to fight. Which, actually, that's a much kinder phrasing than the way she frames, phrases it. Yes. Because um, <laughs> uh, the ableism she, makes me feel gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, she's like, they're they're for being so powerful an enemy, they come in such a small, non-threatening package, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the yeah the way that she talks about it is gross. It's super ableist. Dash uh, um, of fat phobia in there too. Oh yeah. Um, it has a touch of that whole um, ugly equals evil. Mm-hmm. That we discussed before with why the taxons are so easy to demonize and why the tax, uh, why the yurks are, mm-hmm. which feels real bad coming out of the mouth of a tall, pretty blonde girl. Yeah. Which is like, hmm? <laughs> there's a couple of instances of, uh, I don't know the ethnicity of the ghost rider, but there's definitely some moments that smack of white liberalism. Yeah. Uh, in this book, I, there's a specific incident later that made me fucking have to set my computer down and walk around. Just like, <laughs> nope, I'm mad about this. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But, um, to get like, so they heard, they've got a possible, um, or they know for a fact that where Vista 3 is going to be, because got to feed the host body. Mm hmm. <laughs> Uh, um, we get a little spiky interaction between Rachel and Axe that does feel very sort of on brand with a lot of the interactions we've had seen the two of them have before. Mm-hmm. Um, Axe also not understanding Earth idioms, um, which is just <laughs> my autistic son. That <laughs> um, Cassie has to sort of de-escalate before it can turn into a full-blown sort of argument. Right. Uh, Rachel herself admitting, I've been known to get into fights some people would call unnecessary. I do like the distinction of some people call unnecessary. <laughs> the clear implication of being like, I think I was totally justified, but some people <laughs> might say it was unnecessary. Uh-huh. Um, and we do get the recognition of like Rachel's like, maybe I shouldn't start a fight with somebody with a big old blade on the end of a very fast tail. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kids are debating about whether or not that they should act. Right. Now, whether yeah. they should make a move against Visa 3 
while they have the opportunity to do so. so. From the sounds of it, like they mix up where Vista Three takes the host body to feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and the reason they're debating is like like I said, Jake isn't here, um, and they are justifiably hesitant to run a mission without Jake. Um, especially one where they're going up against literally Visser 3. Uh-huh. He um, will not be alone because he right. really never is. Right. Uh, and despite this, um, if Rachel thinks it will be easy for some goddamn reason, uh, Rachel isn't dumb. No. I don't... No, I get, like, the numbers game thing, and I suppose when you've had various other much bigger things, yeah. like, hey, last week we fought a literal submarine. <laughs> this is just one guy. <laughs> um, we escaped Atlantis. This is small potatoes. Like, uh-huh. I can understand, but again, this is, like, was a Doyleist way of thinking, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. But I do think it is easy to get a skewed perspective. Yeah. Uh-uh. Um. But and I think what Rachel's stressing here is like we need a win. She says yeah. we need opportunities, but it's like we need a win. Yeah. Uh, and everybody eventually gets on board with this. They're like, yeah, you know what? Uh, he might change this really soon, and like we we kind of have to take this opportunity. Um, and, uh, like, Tobias and Marco are on board, uh, Axe at first was like, uh, Prince Jake probably wouldn't want us to act without him at least knowing what we're doing, uh, but Rachel kind of goads him, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, or no, Marco goads him, um. you you feel you can't act without a direct order, you can sit this one out, and Axe is like, no, I'll be there. Um, and See, Cass- I didn't read that as in a baiting tone. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, mm-hmm. which, considering it's Marco, maybe I should have done. But it, <laughs> for me, it read like just like well, if you don't want to do something that hasn't been given the express yeah. say so, then okay. Yeah, I think I think either read is perfectly yeah. uh, correct. No. Um, but then then we get this. Yeah, uh, Cassie's like, oh well, I know the perfect morph for this and i'm here just like i don't i resent cassie being given the idiot ball when yeah. it comes to animal know-how yeah because her suggestion um is they need something fast um and hey wouldn't you know the uh whatever it is the gardens uh mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. a new cheetah exhibit oh the garden yeah the gardens um because uh, nothing can outrun a cheetah um and everyone's like yeah great idea we don't even get to see them getting them off boring boo hiss um <laughs> and i'll give credit the morphing into cheetahs dope as hell is one yeah. of my favorite descriptions of yeah. going into morph yeah but like cheetahs are sprinters uh-huh they are they have no fucking endurance at all. You know what would have been a great morph for a team to use against a single prey? Fucking wolves! 
<laughs> a morph you already have. Would have been great. Would have been groovy. But nah, yeah. let's go get a flashy speedster. Yeah. And like they have Axe right there. Axe can tell them how quickly an Andalite can run. They can gate. They probably don't need to go 60 miles an hour. Like well, Just because you can do a thing doesn't mean you should do a thing, kiddies. Uh, but I feel like uh, this is a, a thing that I'll see a lot through this book, uh, or I notice, is like a lot of this is let's do the cool thing. Mm-hmm. Or let's do the fighting. And it is one of these instances where like, ah, yes, teenagers, <laughs> the youths. Um, but I feel like it does a disservice to so many like thoughtful choices they've made in the past. Mm -hmm. And given how much they have mm's and ahs in situations about what morph to use in any, 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 in any given situation. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like, oh, well, Cheetah go fast. Cheetah go fast. Cheetah go very fast. Okay, <laughs> we're going to use the very fast cat. It's like, uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. I'm a bit loopy today because it's very hot. So uh, apologies yeah. if I go with any extended bits. You're right, though, is the thing. <laughs> That's, that is very much how it comes across in the reading is... Cheetahs? Why cheetahs? Cheetah go fast. Okay. Like, <laughs> that's it. That's the only explanation. It, 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 it's it maybe. A little bit of the gotta go fast Sonic. She's like, gotta go fast. She's like, yeah, okay. it's like two maybe. sentences. It really is. Yeah, it's actually like speed. That was it. And then Rachel's like, yeah, nah, cool. Cool beans. Yeah. And then we get to the fucking field. Pasture. That's it. Yep. Ah. Uh, yeah, it's it's very silly. It's like, especially because uh like Rachel, as she's morphing the cheetah, um, which like Jade said, it's a really good morphing sequence. Um yeah, one but, of my favorite details is the description of the black tear tracks. Mm -hmm. The the cause I, that, those markings on cheetahs around their eyes are just oh, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, but as, as she's morphing, Rachel, like, gives the reader, like, a rundown of all the, the cool things that cheetahs do. Um, like, you know, like, she watched the National Geographic thing or something, and it's like, all right, but anyone who's ever seen a cheetah documentary of any kind knows cheetahs fast. Cheetahs get tired fast. Yeah, like it's a burst of speed. Like, and this is part of why, like, cheetahs do like hunt. I don't think cheetahs are solo hunters. They mostly are. Um, okay, I'm 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 mixing my big cats in my brain. Yeah, I think but they'll live in like small the... family groups. Mm, mm. But, uh, but yeah, this is why, like, they go after weaker prey in like herds mm -hmm. like stragglers so they don't have to continually run after it's about mm -hmm. catching up getting ahead and taking stuff down yeah uh, and then hopefully you eat otherwise yeah, it's just like rest and try again yeah later yeah their success rate if i recall correctly is like really low um yeah it's not the greatest of strategies turns out <laughs> <laughs> um 
But yeah, so they get to this pasture, uh, and they they can see the blade ship as it lands. <laughs> the visitor just freaking lands the blade ship in this valley, so he can personally get it out. Yes, yeah, but but it is, I suppose, nature not not take a bug fighter down. Yeah, something a bit more discreet. No, 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 just the whole Let fucking blade ship. We're mocking it. This book has some of the best visitor. It does. Stuff. He's so good. This is he. Yeah, this is the sort of thing where you go, "Oh no, you're fun." Oh no. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah. So they land. They find like hiding places where they can morph, and they morph cheetah. Um, the morphing is cool as hell. Um. I love specifically the description. Like your favorite part is the the bandit mask. Mine is the mm. uh, like the the lungs. Um, mm. My lungs, huge and powerful, inflated like a balloon. Air breathing had never been so easy, so satisfying. And I'm just like, God, I wish that were me. <laughs> In word, we were discussing before we started recording about how running is the most pointless. <laughs> I was saying that. Danielle was humouring me by listening politely and laughing. <laughs> um, but as somebody with shitty lung capacity, when I'm not sick, like just generally my base level is pretty mm-hmm. low. Grew up in a very damp house and it just sort of messed things up. Just like the notion, but like when you think about like if you've had a cold or been congested mm-hmm. or you've been suffering from allergies and the first time you can take a full deep breath, and it's mm-hmm. like, oh, oxygen's great. Did you know how good oxygen is? This shit's rad as hell. Um, uh-huh. It's just very, it is, but that it's very evocative, this uh-huh. description. Yes. Um, so they all morph Cheetah and uh, Rachel is kind of giving the orders by default at first. Um, and then, uh, like on purpose, a little, like a little bit in, um, and specifically Marco calls it out because she says, wait until he's like 10, 15 yards away from the ship. Then we hit one right after the other. First me, then Axe, then Marco, then Cassie. Okay, Xena, Marco said, you want to run this show? Fine. Uh, and like, he doesn't. He doesn't question it after that. He's just like, all right, this is what we're doing. Um, which I think is, is, I really like that. Mm. That he like points it out so that everybody is aware that this is what is happening. Um, mm. but also him. Also, there isn't, it's not resentment either. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, you're calling the shots. And it is that he'll unpack this later, but in a, oh, you're right. This is a very, Mm-hmm. Quick and dirty, kind of a vibe. Absolutely, mm-hmm. Rachel should take point. This makes mm-hmm. sense. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't question it. He's just, it's that, like Danielle would say, it's like this acknowledgement of, you're calling this? Okay, cool. Like, yep. you've got this. And it is that tacit understanding that she does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they execute the plan. They hit Visser 3. Probably would have worked. It would have worked if he didn't have his guards there. <laughs> yeah. Um. Because as soon as his guards jump into the fray, uh, they. I mean, it, it, the plan falls apart. Um, because the cheetahs get 
tired. They can't focus on more than one kind of prey animal. Um, and, uh, even after her first kind of charge to Visser 3, uh, like after she's hit it, hit him once, she's already tiring because she's a cheetah. Um, but did, yeah, like they didn't even take the cheetahs out for a stretch somewhere just yeah. like, to get a vibe. Mm hmm. Oh, uh, and like they're able to dodge the dragon beams of the hork at first um, because they're very fast. But Axe points out correctly that like uh, once we, you know, slow down it all, that's it. <laughs> um. Uh, and the, the Hork-Bajir jump into melee. They do a lot of damage to the kids. Um, and they are straight up losing, uh, and probably in danger of dying, uh, when something extremely fast shows up. Uh, the only description we get of it at first is just a whoosh. Uh, we do respect good onomatopoeic entrance. We do, we do. Um, it's whatever it is, it kind of herds them together. It's moving so fast. The way that it, the way that Rachel describes it, like cartoon speed, like taffy, like where a cartoon character's skin stretches as he goes faster and faster mm. until the skeleton runs right out of his skin suit. Yeah. Yeah. And the vibe I got was like, it's causing like a, a draft behind it because mm -hmm. of how fast it's moving that that's like herding the kids mm -hmm, in. Mm -hmm. It's very like, the way that we see sort of Quicksilver portrayed in various yeah. like X-Men movies, mm -hmm. like it is like a blur of mm -hmm. motion moving fast enough to create a backdraft. Yeah, backdraft, I think is what it is. I don't know words. Uh it so it herds them together and then it just I love the description, it just stopped suddenly. Mm -hmm. Came to a dead clean halt. No slowing down, just stopped. In case you needed to like clarify that this is not a earth based life form. Yeah. Like <gasps> momentum. I don't know. Earth. <laughs> Just like stop. Uh, and the creature is, uh, weirdly similar to an andalite in structure. Um, it's, uh, only about as tall as a gazelle, which is hilarious to me how small this thing is. Um, Four lanky, skinny legs, a thin but strong-looking tail as long as its body that flicked and twitched even when the creature's legs weren't moving. A pigeon chest, high and rounded. A head shaped like a custom-made aerodynamic bike racing helmet. Tight, curved face like half a smooth ball. Skull that swept back from the rim of this ball into a pointy triangle like an ice cream cone on its side, except the cone was flattened. But what really caught and held my attention was the fact that this thing was covered in blue fur and had no mouth, and sported two thin, weak-looking arms. Uh, although, you know, it isn't described as having a torso. It's pigeon-chested, though. This is true. It, it's very weird. Um, it, yeah, now, this one's a hard one to picture, but, like, the, the comparison to Andalite physiology is made more than once, and I do appreciate how put-out axes by it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Just like, laughs> What? It, I look nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also, this will go nowhere in the grand scheme of things in this book. 
mm-hmm. by the way. I, I don't know if this species of alien comes up again in later books. This very fast, not an andalite, but from a distance, if you squint, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but because mm-hmm. this is apparently the new host species that they have discovered. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get more unpacking online. Just like, do we even see these guys again? No. <laughs> fucking one gets taken out by uh, an animorph that we will get to later. Just like, actually, now wasted effort. Just like, there are so many other uses for this morph. <laughs> what the fuck? This would be a great host. Yep. What the fuck? Yep. Uh, so, uh, this thing stops and it starts to, like, everybody takes the opportunity to leave. Like, it herds them together, and the hork stop attacking them, and it kind of stops next to Visser 3, and they just leave. Uh. Yeah, they bail out. <laughs> they disengage. Yeah. Uh, it works. They get away pretty clean. They morph to bird, and as they're morphing and, and going away, they listen to the, the conversation between Visser 3 and this thing. Um, it speaks in thought speak, uh, but super fast. The words became clear a beat after the creature had stopped speaking, a time delay between sound and meaning. Kind of like when you talk on the phone to someone in Europe or any other continent, I guess. Which isn't exactly the same, but but the vibe is. Yeah. Like, yeah, we're all used to chatting on Discord, Mm -hmm. like, just like... The delay. We're all used to that that conversation. Like that's such a cool notion, though, that something mm-hmm. is happening so quickly it takes your brain a moment to process. Yes, yes. What it is you've heard. As somebody that struggles with audio processing, mm-hmm. like periodically, I'll just be talking to somebody, and what they've said will make no sense, mm-hmm. and then like my brain will then go, "Oh, that's what it was." Yes. But yes. like seeing nor- seeing normies react to that sort of sensation is very satisfying. <laughs> uh. The, the, the thing is revealed to be, uh, like future counselor 13 of the council of 13. Um, he's awaiting final approval. Uh, but currently he is some kind of inspector. Um, internal affairs is here. Yeah. Uh, which coming af- a- off of the back of Visser makes sense, right? The council sent somebody to check up on Visser 3. Um, and the, uh, antagonistic relationship between these two is immediately extremely apparent. Uh, the, um, the thing is, uh, revealed to be a Garatron. Uh, or the host body is revealed to be what is known as a Garatron. Um, and, uh, it, <laughs> the inspector taunts Visser 3. Like, that was pathetic. Uh, you were chased down on a planet you should have long ago conquered. Um, and the Visser is like, well, you fa- failed to capture the Andalite ban- bandits. Look at them. They got away. <laughs> um, and- <laughs> And the inspector's just like, and deprive you of what is your duty and responsibility and my enjoyment in watching you fail? 
very good. It's very it's good. Just very fun. Um, and once again, we are we are struck by the notion of just why the yurks are so bad at what they do. Yes, like this is what happens when you breed deeply, like socially, not in the in the mm -hmm, biological mm -hmm. sense of like. An incredibly competitive militaristic culture that's very like dog eat dog, climb over, uh, like mm -hmm. pull up the ladder after you vibes. Because mm -hmm. um, there isn't the cooperation that would be so very effective otherwise. Mm -hmm. But then we would be deprived of this uh, delightful nonsense. Mm -hmm. So that I am here for. Uh, and the kids would have died. <laughs> Just way earlier. Well, yeah, but, you know. <laughs> um, I do not want the children to have died. I would rather... No, this is good. The, mm -hmm, the, the kills mm -hmm. of events is as it should be. Mm -hmm. uh, we get a brief uh, uh, moment for my heart where Rachel tells everyone, all right, take off one at a time. I'll hold, hold the rear. Um, uh, she tells Tobias to go first. And Tobias says back uh, that he'll wait for her, which is my heart. <laughs> um, but they get back to the barn and they're like, all right, well, that was a clusterfuck. Um, and Axe is like, sounds like the inspector is a candidate member of the Council of 13. And Marco's like, do you know about the Garatrons? Because they kind of look similar to gestures to all of Axe. And Axe is like, physical similarities don't necessarily mean there's a genetic relationship. Or no, Cassie points that out. Um, Axe is, Axe is just offended. Um, it's, it's an example of convergent get... evolution, which is hilarious yeah. to me, considering how fucking dumb Andalites are. <laughs> mm. Like, nature decided twice this was the ideal body plan. Yeah. Like and the uh, and like Cassie makes a description between the marsupial shrew and the other kind, right? Mammalian, Mam mammalian, yeah. and marsupial shrews a lot alike but not related. And like I can think of like various instances uh, throughout um, like Earth's animal kingdom where that is where that is true. Like how red pandas aren't pandas or are mm -hmm. and like various things that are called bears that aren't bears because of how human taxonomy utterly fails at classification sometimes mm -hmm. it's very fun and good um cassie my sweet girl i love that you know this and yet somehow didn't know about <laughs> shooters <laughs> this feels like an inconsistency in the writing and it's no reflection on you yeah the, um, <laughs> what happened was like they decided they needed a cheetah cover yeah, <laughs> which to be fair is one of the better looking covers. It is a good looking cover, uh, but it's also like, yeah, no. Cassie makes a point, like mammalian shrews and marsupial shrews, not a lot alike. She's like, yeah, but what percentage of DNA? It, mm, I feel <laughs> like this argument about it not being that related is still kind of missing some things. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, because like everything on, yeah, and also like marsupials. Have a lot in common with mammals. Yeah, I don't know enough about the phylogenetics in to be able to say. Um, but 
I mean, like, yeah. like live, live young, fur, mm-hmm. warm-blooded, like yeah. some of the base things that we might go, oh, well, that's what defines a mammal. A lot of that is also true for marsupials and yes. the sort of basic high school understanding of mm-hmm. uh, animal biology. Um, but, but they, they kind of brush past this like, all right, well, whatever. And Axe is like, well, the Yerks have only taken one Andalite body, and the inspector said that the Garatrons haven't, uh, that the Yerks have infested multiple Garatron, which would never, like, the Andalites would never allow that to happen, so they're totally different. And it's like, Axe, my dude. You're overcompensating, sweetie. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, Tobias is the one who points out that, uh, there is, like, the, the inspector is probably here to make a progress report on the invasion of Earth. Um, and he says, he says it in the air of, like, there's something to be done here about this. And Rachel puts together that, like, oh, yeah, um, we can, we can exploit the Vissers being under a microscope and make him look bad. Um, and Marco and Tobias both make the, like, well, better the evil you know than the evil you don't argument of, like, well, what happens if they get rid of Visser 3? And then we have to deal with, like, an actually competent villain. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and Rachel's like, I mean, maybe. Uh, Cassie's like, I want to hear what Rachel has to say. And Rachel is like, all right, look. We d- we need to make some kind of smear campaign, uh, strike hard and fast, continuous pressure, hit every known controller in town, um, everyone in a position of power, hit public spaces, basically so that the inspector, it makes the inspector think that, like, the Andalite bandits are way more of a problem than they are. Because, like, the Andalite bandits could not sustain this level of attack. Um, and... Uh, you know, Rage is like, we could we could start this today. And Marco's like, well, or we could wait until Jake gets back in two or three days. Uh, like, this is this is a good idea, but also that sounds really fucking dangerous, and I want Jake on it. Um Rachel's like, what's so dangerous? Boom, boom, boom. We hit, we get out, we hit again. <laughs> like Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> But I suppose in her mind, there aren't a lot of contingent factors. This isn't a yeah. complicated thing. So ergo, there's less to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Not seeing like the floating neon sign <laughs> of, you know, just the general danger factor. <laughs> yes. Because for her, that isn't a deterrent to going into a situation. Yes. yes. Um. Exactly. Yeah. It's she... Marco understands that every single fight that they get into is one that could be their last. And yeah. Rachel doesn't appreciate that, or at least doesn't consider it because she's accepted it like so far down mm. into her bones. Yeah. Um, like it's an unconscious, like mm-hmm. understanding, just like, yeah, I could die doing this. Mm-hmm. Do that any day. Mm-hmm. But well, what's the problem? Yeah. 
Uh, it's not like a willful misunderstanding on her part. She's not yeah. being contrary here. She yeah. is genuinely just like, no, I don't see the issue here. Mm -hmm. This is a simple, effective course of action. Yes. Um, and Marco's like, like, this is, there's a lot of risk in this, especially because it's a public place. There's a lot of chance that someone could be left behind. Um, we may, like, one of us may have to demorph and we're just, like, in the open. Um, and Tobias, uh, says, or not be able to demorph, his voice forcedly arch and bright, or maybe be captured and tortured. <laughs> uh, Tobias, my boy. <laughs> I shot him a look. It pained me when he talked like that. He didn't do it often, but... Tobias had been caught in Morph way back in the beginning. More recently, he'd been voluntarily captured for the sake of the mission. Tortured, too. He'd sacrificed more than any of us for the stupid war. He had a right to deal with it all whatever way he could. Still, it hurt me to see him reveal the damage that had been done to him. I have strong feelings for Tobias, the kind you can't help. The kind that seem inevitable. Like they were always there, even before you knew the person. And dear listener, I die. I, I die. <laughs>